verse 27 of Philippians chapter 1. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ is the very first instruction in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul says roughly 540 words in this letter before he gives his first command, which is Paul's habit when he writes. Indicative or facts, then imperative or commands. Exposition, then exhortation. Understanding, then application. Doctrine, then duty. So, for example, in Paul's letter to the Romans, the first imperative, the first instruction, doesn't show up until chapter 6. In his letter to the Ephesians, not until chapter 4. And in this letter to the Philippians, not until verse 27. The principle behind this writing practice is this. Right thinking precedes right living. In other words, right living Living that honors God begins in your mind and begins in your heart. So before you are going to live the way you should live, there are things you need to know. There are things you need to feel. There are things you need to believe. And so it's belief first and then behavior. It is right thinking first and then right living. And so Paul, when he writes, will give lots of facts, will give lots of doctrine, will give lots of knowledge, and then he'll begin to give instruction. So that's the principle, and it's what he does in the letter to the Philippians. So that means that the Bible is not simply a list of rules. Some people believe that, and some people Think that, that the Bible is just a list of rules. You may have heard the acronym when you were younger for Bible that someone made up. Basic instructions before leaving earth. I mean, the Bible is that. It is a charter. It is a handbook for the Christian life. But the Bible is so much more than that. It is, and personally, this is my favorite way to think about the Bible. The Bible is a story. The Bible is the greatest story ever being told. It is the greatest story ever being told. And as you and I come to know this story, as you and I come to understand this story, we will be equipped and motivated to live our lives in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. But in order to do what God wants us to do, to follow His commands, His imperatives, His instructions, the right living, We've got to know Him. We've got to know His Word. We need right thinking and right understanding. So we have an example of that today. This morning we'll look at verses 29 and verse 30. And Paul is going to complete a thought, if you look with me, that he started in verse 27. So 27 through 30 are a thought that Paul gives us. So we're going to read the second half today, but it's, of course, connected to what we looked at last week, verse 27 and 28. So let me read it all together. Verses 27 through 30, let me read it all together and then let me offer my own shorter 
paraphrase that I hope will make the connection between what we're looking at today and what we looked at last week. So let's read it all together. Verses 27 through 30. Paul said, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Now, all that is right living. It's imperatives, instruction. That's the way that God, through Paul, is calling us to live. And now, the verses we're looking at today, here is the right thinking that you need. Here's what you need to understand if you're going to live that kind of life. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. And now here is my much shorter paraphrase of these verses. Again, here is the right living. Here is the call. Together, stand firm and strive to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And do not be frightened of persecution. That's the right living. And here's the right thinking you'll need to have. Because that suffering is a gracious gift from God and so is the faith you will have to endure it. Let me say that shorter paraphrase one more time. Together, stand firm and strive to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And do not be frightened of persecution because that suffering is a gracious gift from God. And so is the faith you will have to endure it. So this morning, our ultimate goal is to understand how belief in Christ and suffering for Christ are gracious gifts from God that enable Christians to face persecution without fear. That's our ultimate goal. To understand how belief in Christ and suffering for Christ, those are gracious gifts from God that enable Christians to endure persecution without fear. Now, this was a difficult text for me to think about this week. And especially to think about its application to all of us. There's a word that you've heard me say a couple times already in my paraphrase and in this goal that we have in this sermon. And that word is persecution. And that word's going to come up again later, and I'll explain where I'm getting that. But I think when we're talking about persecution, and as I'm thinking about persecution this week, I had a difficult time because I don't think we're persecuted. I really don't. Now, I know that some of you have been persecuted, and I know that some of you do suffer, maybe even now, a degree of persecution. I know that that's 
possible in our country and in this day. But when I'm thinking about what Paul was enduring, and when I'm thinking about what the Philippians were probably already enduring, and historically what we know they were about to endure, and when I think about the persecution that swept through the first century church, and when I think about church history and think about all those who were Christians who were persecuted, or this week as I intentionally thought about and prayed about the millions of Christians right now who are persecuted in other parts of this world in ways that Paul and the Philippians were persecuted, but is totally foreign to us. I think if we were a church that wasn't committed to preaching the whole counsel of God, I would skip these verses. I really do. Because I'd say that they were irrelevant to us. And we'll save those verses for when we are persecuted. Or when we are being persecuted. But I think I'd be tempted to just move on to something that felt more relevant. I mean, here is amazing teaching from God that is here to enable the Philippians and to enable in Christians to endure persecution. But I'm feeling like I'm, this is going to be sort of a, a wasted message because there's going to be 200 people that aren't being persecuted and that maybe are never going to be persecuted, at least not like this. They're not going to need to know how to endure this kind of persecution. Let's move on to something much more relevant, something that's more at hand for us. Well, we never put ourselves over the Bible like that. We submit ourselves to God's Word, and we know that every word in it is good for us. And frankly, I don't know. Maybe some of you will be persecuted severely in years to come, in days to come. Maybe some of you will be called by God to leave the safety of 21st century America. And you'll go someplace to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ that is totally unsafe for you. Maybe this will be helpful. Maybe this will burden some of us for our brothers and sisters in the world today in a new and fresh way that will cause us to pray for them and support them as they endure persecution that we don't endure. Maybe some of us will have the opportunity even here to be persecuted. Maybe someone here will have a gun put to their head. And they will be asked to deny Christ or die. I just don't know. But I know that if we, you and I, are going to endure persecution, if it should come our way, or if it should come our children's way, or if it should come our grandchildren or our great-grandchildren's way, if that should happen, this is what we need to know, the right thinking we need to have, or we will not be able to endure without fear. So that's the goal this morning. Before I preach this sermon, we should pray together. So will you please bow your heads with me? Our Father in heaven. First, we ask that you would help us to understand your word today and understand the encouragement that you were giving through Paul 
to these Philippian Christians, who many of which were likely about to die for their faith. So help us to understand how you, God, encourage them. And then help us to know how we ought to apply these truths to our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So please open your Bible to Philippians chapter 1. If you haven't already, if you're using one of our church Bibles, you'll find it on page 636. At the very beginning of verse 29, you will see this very important little word for. You see that little word for at the beginning of verse 29, which can also be translated because or since. And this little word for is connecting what Paul is about to say to something that Paul has already said. And you and I use that little word in the same way. Don't touch the fire, for it is hot. So it is hot is the basis for the instruction, do not touch. And that little word for is connecting those. You've got to pay attention to every little word in your Bible. Because it helps you understand how does all of this work together and how does this all connect together? So, here's our question. What has Paul already said that is supposed to be connected to what he says after this word for? What is verse 29 connected to that he already said? Is it What Paul said in verse 27, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Is it connected to the sign that Paul just mentioned right before at the end of chapter 28? Well, I'm inclined to agree with Ligon Duncan, who says that verse 29 is the basis for the whole instruction given in verses 27 and 28, but specifically, do not be frightened. Remember Paul said that? He said, let your manner be worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then he says, so that I may hear of you. And he talks about what that would look like. You're standing firm. You're striving together for the faith of the gospel. And you are not frightened by, what did he say? Anything in or by your opponents. So I think that's what Paul, in our verses today, is providing the basis for. So what he says to us today, that's why you should not be frightened in anything by your opponents. So it could be put together like this. Let me just put it all together in Paul's own words. Verse 28. Do not be frightened in anything by your opponents. For, verse 29, here is the encouragement. It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. If that's the connection, and I think it is, That would mean what we are studying today provides you and me with the encouragement we need to not be frightened in anything by our opponents. That's what our verses today are the basis for. If we understand this truth, it will help you and I to not be frightened in anything by our opponents, which I think means persecution, which again we'll get to. 
So here is what is at stake for Christians like you and me. If fear wins, then we won't stand firm. If fear wins, you and I will not strive for the faith of the gospel. If fear wins, we will not live a life that is worthy of the gospel. If fear wins, we will be frightened. We will not honor Christ. So the stakes are high. They were high for the Philippians. They're high for us. Okay, so again, verses 29 and 30 are providing the encouragement to not be frightened. Paul is saying, don't be afraid to the Philippians and to you and me. I think they had more to be afraid of than you and I. But he's saying to them, and God, of course, is saying to us, don't be afraid. Don't be frightened. Don't be frightened in anything, he said, by your opponents. There is already a subtle encouragement in that instruction before Paul even gets to his intentional encouragement. And the subtle encouragement is this. Paul, and remember, of course, God is writing through Paul. Think about this. Paul would not have to tell the Philippians not to be frightened unless there were things to be frightened of. I find that encouraging. God would not have to call the Philippians not to be frightened if there were not things to be frightened of. When God calls Christians to not be frightened like he does here and all over the Bible. When God calls Christians not to be frightened, he is not saying that there is nothing frightening or there is nothing threatening or there is nothing discouraging in this life. God calls Christians to not be frightened because there are things that are frightening in this life. There are things that are threatening in this life. There are things that are enormously discouraging in this life. That's why God calls us to not be frightened. Listen, fear is a part of the Christian life. Read the book of Psalms. Read the Psalms. It's all over the place as the psalmists are pouring out their heart. Don't you hear that over and over again? I'm afraid. I'm fearful. I'm frightened of this. I'm frightened of that. There will be reasons in your life to be afraid. The Philippians had reasons to be afraid. Good reasons to be afraid. And you will have reasons in your life to be afraid. When you are afraid, God is not saying you should not be afraid because you have nothing to be afraid of. That's not what God is saying. God is saying when you are afraid, turn to God. Those are two very different things. Very different things. God knows you. God knows your frame. He knows what comes easy for you. He knows what comes difficult. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows it's in the psalm that was just after the psalm that Greg read today. He knows when you get up. He knows when you lie down. He knows everything about you. He knows you. Think about this. He knows you better than you even know yourself. And he knows you struggle with fear. And he knows what your fears are. And he knows when you are afraid. 
And God is not an impersonal father who minimizes your fear and shames you and says, suck it up. That's not God. He's not an impersonal father who minimizes your fear. He is your heavenly father who understands your fears and reminds you that he is with you and he is for you. Do you see the difference? There's encouragement in having fear validated. There's encouragement in having fear acknowledged. And it is over and over again by God. But let's move on to Paul's stated encouragement. Here is the basis for the Philippians to overcome their fear. It's verse 29, right? For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. So in the rest of this sermon, there are two questions I'd like to ask. Number one, what is Paul saying? Verse 29 there. What is Paul saying? And question two, how will it help the Philippians to overcome their fear? That's why he's saying it. So what is Paul saying? Number one. And how does what Paul is saying help the Philippians and help you and me to overcome fear? So question number one, what is Paul saying in verse 29? Would you look at verse 29 with me? Let's think about this together. For it has been granted to you. That word granted, it's used 23 times in the New Testament. It's only used by Paul and Luke, and Paul uses it 16 times. It's a favorite word of Paul. The word means this, graciously given. That word granted, it means graciously given. So if something is granted to you, in Paul's wording, it is given to you and you don't deserve it. Something good is given to you. And it's not given to you because you deserve it. It is graciously given. It is grace. It is unmerited favor. It is an unearned, undeserved gift. So listen to how Paul uses this word in other places. It's the word he uses in Romans 8.32 when he says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? He uses it again in 1 Corinthians 2.12 when he says, We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things, here it is again, freely given us by God. Same word. And it's in Galatians 3.18 when Paul says, For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise but God here it is gave it to Abraham by a promise so in those verses we learn that God graciously gives Christians salvation an inheritance and Romans 8:32 all things God gives Christians graciously things like salvation, an eternal inheritance, and all things. And according to our text today, we learn that God has also given to Christians 
graciously what? Belief and suffering. Same term. Belief and suffering. God has graciously given us, friends. God has graciously given us belief and suffering. And therefore, we should not be frightened in anything by our opponents. So we're still understanding what he's saying. Let's look at these two gifts one at a time. Belief and suffering. Let's look at them one at a time. And you'll see that these are both very difficult to accept for different reasons. Christians don't have a difficult time typically accepting that salvation is freely given. That an inheritance is freely given. That all things are freely given. But for different reasons, belief being freely given to us is difficult for Christians to accept. And this kind of suffering is given to Christians is difficult to accept. So let's look at them one at a time. Number one, Paul is saying that belief in Christ is a gracious gift from God. So here's verse 29 again. And hear that point in this verse. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, here it is, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. In other words, right? It has been granted to you to believe in Him. Not just that, and he goes on to say something else, but that belief in Christ is a gracious gift from God. Belief in Christ has not been given to everybody. But if you are here and you're a Christian, it has been given to you. Faith is a gift from God. Now, this can be tough to accept. Logically speaking. Because a Christian might respond. What do you mean belief is a gift? What do you mean faith is a gift? I believed. I believed. That's something I did. That's something I do. I put my faith in Christ. I did it. I, I do it every day. This is something I do. And you're right, of course. You did. You believed in Christ. But why did you believe in Christ? And the answer the Bible gives is you were enabled. You were enabled to believe in Christ. You were given eyes to see. You were given a heart of flesh. Your, your heart was opened to the truth of the gospel. In other words, the way it's put here is you were granted belief in Christ. I've illustrated this for you before like this. Imagine that you were like a blindfolded person. The Bible says that we are born spiritually blind. So imagine that you are blindfolded and you are moving in a direction. And you're moving in a direction that you think is a good direction. And you've got people coming up to you and saying things like, well, you need to turn around. Where you are going is not good. You're headed to hell. And you say, blindfolded, there's no such thing, or I'm not, or no, I feel it, it's warm, it's the beach. And that's where I want to go. 
And so you keep going and you just push it off and push it off and you're crazy and whatever and there's not a God and there's not this and hell, are you kidding me? And on and on. Well, at some point, what God does for a believer is he comes by the Holy Spirit and takes the blindfold off. And you see reality. And you see sin and you see hell and you see God and you see Christ and you you see Spiritually, what you could not see before. And what do you do? You turn around. And you run in the opposite direction. You believed. You put your faith in Christ. But you would not have done that if He did not grant you belief in Him. So Paul says it plainly here. We also see this in Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And in 1 John 5.1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. It does not say believe and then become born of God. That's what I was raised to believe, but that's not what the Bible teaches. It says, if you believe, you've been born of God. Here's what we hear in 1 Corinthians 12, 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. That verse is not, doesn't mean just the words. You can all say that and anybody can say Jesus is Lord. No one can mean it. Jesus, you are Lord. You're over me. Whatever you say. Whatever you want from me. Whatever I should do. Wherever you would have me go. You are Lord. 1 Corinthians 12.3 is saying you can't say that. Except by the Holy Spirit. Not say that and then you will receive the Holy Spirit. It's totally different. So belief in Christ is a gracious gift from God. Belief is a responsibility and a gift. This is the teaching of God's word. Belief is a responsibility and a gift. In other words, belief is something you must do. Every one of you. You must believe in Christ and you can't believe in Christ without God. Some of you struggle with this. Or some of you have struggled with this and that's okay. I've struggled with this. I struggle with this. The church has been struggling to reconcile these truths for 2,000 years. It is the struggle. Maybe you've heard it put this way. It is the struggle between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And they may, in your mind, God is sovereign Man is responsible. They may, in your mind, contradict one another. But in God's mind, they do not. So you have to do this all the time. If you're going to humbly read your Bible, you've got to submit yourself to things that are above your pay grade. To things that are beyond your understanding. Maybe next year you should. You'll understand it better than you do now. But you're finite and God is infinite and you were told see dimly and God sees everything. So to me, it's logical that there's going to be things that may seem to contradict themselves, but in God's mind, they do not. 
Charles Spurgeon was once asked, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty with man's responsibility? And they were expecting this great treatise. How do you reconcile God's sovereignty to man's responsibility? And his response was, I see no need to reconcile friends. They're friends in God's word. Listen to Jesus. He makes it so clear. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he said in John six forty four, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So let me ask you a question. Which time did Jesus speak correctly? Both times. Both. Both and. Don't make one say something that it doesn't to appease the other. That's not handling the Bible well. Jesus said, come to me. What is he saying? Believe in me. And then he said, no one can believe in me unless, unless they are drawn to me by the Father. Unless... Let's put Philippians in there. Unless it is granted to them to believe in Christ. So that's number one. Belief in Christ is a gracious gift from God. And that's hard to accept. The second thing he says is hard to accept, but in a different way, isn't it? The second thing that is graciously given, the main concentration that Paul is focused on here is that suffering for Christ is a gracious gift from God. Belief in Christ and suffering for Christ, it is a gracious gift from God. Verse 28 again. Do not be frightened in anything by your opponents. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. We want to understand that. What does Paul mean? What kind of suffering is Paul talking about? There's all different kinds of suffering. You know this. The Bible has all kinds of ways of describing suffering. There's there's suffering of judgment. You've done something wrong and you suffer because of it. You pay a price because of what you've done. There is the suffering of discipline. Parents, your children know this kind of suffering, and it is out of love. And Hebrews 12 says that God disciplines his children. God introduces pain into the life of a Christian for their good and for their growth. There is the suffering of fellowship. That's where you're not actually suffering, but someone you love is suffering, and therefore you are suffering. There's the eternal suffering of hell. There's sickness, right? There's all different kinds of suffering. And listen, this is something very unique that Paul is talking about here. This is something specific. This is not suffering in general. This is suffering. Look with me. How does he describe it? For his sake. And his is Jesus. For Christ's sake. People say that for all different reasons. For Christ's sake. Well, here's where it's rooted. Suffering for his sake. What is that? What is suffering for Christ's sake? 
Well, I said the word earlier, and now we're coming to it. This is persecution. This is persecution. This is the kind of suffering that can come your way when you choose to remain loyal to Christ. If you choose to remain loyal to Christ in any and every circumstance, in any and every place, in any and every situation, you may incur this kind of suffering. Because this is the kind of suffering that only comes your way when you are remaining loyal to Christ. If only you were not a Christian, you would never suffer in this way. This is one of the only kinds of suffering that you can guarantee you will never endure. And all you have to do is deny Christ. All you have to do is deny Christ. There are brothers and sisters throughout the world who are even this day being confronted and given three choices. You can deny Christ. You can pay a heavy ongoing tax. Or you can have your throat. So you can get out of that suffering. That suffering that you can escape. All you have to do is deny Christ. If only you denied Christ, you would never have to suffer this way. This is suffering that someone can escape. It's persecution. We can read about persecution past in our history books and we can read about persecution present in the news. We can go back to Acts chapter 16 and read about how Paul was persecuted in the very city to which he writes. He was, do you remember, beaten with rods and thrown in prison. The Philippians, I don't know, what level of persecution they're facing at the time that he writes, but it's going to get bad for them. We can read about Christian martyrs throughout history. You can, and I would recommend you do, you can visit a website like persecution.com. That's run by Voice of the Martyrs, organization that was started by the Romanian hero, Richard Wormbrand, who was, as his self-titled book, Tortured for Christ. You can go to a website like persecution.com. You can watch video testimonies. You can read articles. You can listen to audio. You can have your eyes open to the reality that right now in the world, Christians, brothers and sisters, are being persecuted the way Paul was being persecuted. This is not a thing of the past. In fact, those who study things like this have said that more Christians have lost their lives for Christ in the last 150 years than the previous 18 centuries. And the gospel has expanded more in the last 150 years than the previous 18 centuries. But we, we don't bump into this. We don't see this. We don't face this unless we seek it out. And what is Paul saying here about that kind of suffering? It is a gracious gift. Wow. What a way to talk. What a way to think. 
that that kind of suffering, what does that mean? Is a privilege. This is how Paul speaks about it. This is how Christians throughout history have spoken about it. What a privilege to suffer for the one who suffered for me. I have never suffered anything close to that. So I can't even understand Christians when they talk about this, but they do. And they wholeheartedly talk about what a privilege and an honor and a blessing. They can hardly contain themselves talking about what a privilege it has been or will be to suffer or die for Jesus Christ. Salvation is a gift. The Holy Spirit is a gift. Our inheritance in heaven is a gift. Belief is a gift. Suffering for His sake is a gift. Stop and think about that. Shamefully, I don't feel like that's a gift I want. I don't think I want that gift. You ever opened a gift from someone and as soon as you see it, you know it's, it's going back. <laughs> I've opened gifts and I'm still looking at it and I'll, I'll hear my wife holler across the room, don't rip the tags off. It's going back. I'll never wear this. Suffering for Christ, a gift. Is that a gift that, that you desire? Is that, is that a gift that you're ready for? I thought about how, how different would this sermon be if I was giving it in Afghanistan? What would the expressions on your, on your faces be? What would the expression on my face be? How would we be applying this? What if we were in Iraq? What if we were in Syria? What would this sermon look like? It would be the same content. It's God's Word. But how different would we receive it if we were in that context? What do we do with it here in America? Does our heart go out to our brothers and sisters? It should. Do we begin to prepare ourselves for whatever God may have in store for us? Do we begin to pray this way for ourselves, for our children, for our grandchildren, for our great-grandchildren? God, we don't know what you have in store for them. May we not neglect these truths now and leave our children and grandchildren not ready for the test. Now we read and understand and apply God's word. This is the kind of suffering Paul was enduring. He was suffering because he was a Christian. He was being persecuted. And he knows it is only a matter of time before the persecution reaches the Philippians. And so he writes... And he encourages them not to be frightened by this. And what is his basis for them to not be frightened? Belief in Christ and suffering for Christ are gracious gifts. So we end with our final question. How is that truth going to help the Philippians not to be frightened? If God forbid you and I should ever face persecution. How will, and I pray he does, God bringing this sermon and this text to mind, how is that going to help us? In that day, how will it help us to remember that my belief in Christ and this suffering for Christ is a gracious gift from God? How's, how does that work? What is the connection? How does that help? 
Well, that means if that kind of suffering is a gracious gift from God, then doesn't that mean that this suffering is is not a mark of God's disappointment? It's not a mark of God's anger. It's not a mark of being abandoned by God. It's not divine punishment from God. This would remind me that it's the exact opposite of those things. It would be the exact opposite. It is a mark of his wholehearted love for me. That he would give me the privilege and the honor to suffer for his sake. To have it all on the line. And to be given in that moment that other gracious gift to believe in him and to confess his name. How much glory would he get in that? Paul will describe later, we're like these lights that are shining in this world. How bright would that light be? How good is God? How great is God? How gracious is God if a Christian can, like Paul, say to live is Christ and to die is gain. To be reminded that this kind of persecution is a gracious gift from God, that it is a mark of his whole hearted love for us because he gives these gracious gifts to those he loves. To be reminded of that would be the means to not be frightened. To not be fearful. These martyrs are all dead. And so we can't ask them, what did you think about? How'd you do that? How'd you not cave? How'd you not turn? How'd you stay faithful? How'd you give it all up? What did you think about? We'll get to ask them someday, I bet. But I think it would have to be something like Philippians 1, 29 and 30. Well, I was reminded that this was a privilege. That it was a sign of God's wholehearted love for me. That he would be magnified and glorified in me in this way and then usher me into his presence forever. Together, again, in closing, the paraphrase of these verses, the challenge for us together stand firm and strive to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ and do not be frightened of persecution because that suffering is a gracious gift from God and so is the faith you will have to endure it. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this this word that you had for us today that could easily, I think, seem irrelevant. I can imagine how we would receive these words, God, if we were in a region that was under Christian persecution. But here, God, we don't, we're not alarmed like this. We're not, we're not frightened the way the Philippians were frightened. We we don't even give a second thought to what we will do the rest of this day and this week and 
it never crosses our mind that we wouldn't see each other next Sunday and the Sunday thereafter until we decide not to be there. So God, we ask that you would still sink this truth deeply into our hearts. And God, I pray that I know that there will be somebody here or a descendant of somebody here who will need this truth in a desperate way. So God, we pray that it would not get lost, but that it would go forth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.